The word of the Lord from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we come before you as your people who are thirsty and who are weak. Life is often too big for us, and we scramble to try to handle it, and yet too often we can't. But Lord, thank you that your word is powerful and good, and you use it to change us. And Lord, feed us today from your word. May your words penetrate our hearts. May you speak through me by the power of your spirit to each heart here that we might have a growing faith in you, that we might see you anew more clearly because of your spirit working through your word. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, as a boy... I had the opportunity to go deep sea fishing with my grandfather and my dad. We were on the Oregon coast, a place called Winchester Bay. Some of you probably are familiar with that area, on the coast of Oregon. We went out on this day, and it was cloudy. It was not a bad day, but, you know, we were not having a lot of luck fishing. But suddenly the Coast Guard started going by and calling for all the boats to go in. There was a big storm coming, and we needed to get in to shore now. Well, as a boy, I thought, wow, this is kind of exciting. But I remember seeing the fear in my grandfather's eyes, a man who'd spent a lot of time on the sea. And as we headed, he especially was concerned about crossing the bar where you enter the bay. And it was rough. But we managed to make it, but we saw other boats that were struggling. And in fact, at least one boat capsized. Two men died that day just trying to get back to shore. We all face storms. Many of us are in the midst of an economic storm right now. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you are looking at your retirement funds and wondering how in the world you're going to make it. Officially, it's a recession. It affects every one of us. But many of you, and I know some of your stories, not all, but many of you, many of us, 
are in the midst of personal storms as well. Storms of pain, of struggle, of difficulty, of tough marriages, of facing loss, problems with children and grandchildren, health issues, depression, sin issues, addictions, and on and on. We're facing storms that are huge, too big for us to handle. Storms come our way, and if you're not in one now, (laughs) you will be someday. So the real question for us is not how we avoid storms, because we can't. But the question for us this morning is, how do we deal with the storms in our lives? How do we face them in a way that can allow us to get through them? Do we just try to hang on? Do we run for cover? Do we try to handle it ourselves until we feel out of control and then become terrified? (laughs) Well, our passage today, the Laura just read, describes a storm that the disciples faced that was terrifying for them. And we learn from their response and from Jesus' response a lot about ourselves and a lot about how, who he is in the midst of storms. So that as we face a new year, 2009, we don't know what's coming, none of us do. But we know we'll face storms. And so this passage is a great encouragement to us to face those storms with faith rather than fear. Let's see how to get there. First of all, we need to look at three realities about storms. We need to understand some things about the storms. First reality we need to know is that storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. Verse 35, On that day... When evening came, Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. Now, let me give a little context here. Jesus began teaching parables to a crowd on that day, that morning. And the crowd got so heavy, so thick, that he got into a boat and the fishermen took him a little bit out into the bay so that he could get away from the crowd and speak more easily to the whole crowd. Now, I've been to this place in Israel, the Bay of Parables, they call it, where they think this incident happened. And it's a wonderful place with tremendous acoustics. You can stand there and you can hear very clearly. So Jesus was teaching all day. He was getting very tired. He'd been there the whole time and he's in the boat with the disciples. And then at the end of that day, when evening came, notice what he did. He said, Let us go to the other side. Who initiates the trip into the storm? (laughs) Jesus did. Let's go to the other side. And my translation says, let us go over to the other side. Literally, what he says is, let us pass through to the other side. Let's pass through what's coming. To the other side. Now, there's other words he could have used. In fact, most commonly, if you were going to talk about taking a trip across the lake, you would use a different word. But he uses a word that means to pass through something. In fact, the only other place it's used in the book of Mark is over in chapter 10, verse 25. 
where the disciples um, were amazed at what Jesus is doing. And in verse 25, it says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus knows what's coming, doesn't he? (laughs) I mean, what's he talking about? Pass through what? He knows there's a storm coming that they will have to pass through, get squeezed through to get to the other side. You see, no storm is a surprise to Jesus. No storm you go through is a surprise to him. And that's why storms are inevitable. Because God orchestrates life so that we can't avoid the storms. He orchestrates life and he takes us through the storm because he has a greater purpose in the storms. And notice he goes with us. Let us go together. Let's pass through the storm together. Now, as I look at this, I realize, you know, most of us spend our energy, a lot of our energy, trying to avoid storms, don't we? (laughs) I mean, we work really hard to make our lives feel really safe and organized so that we don't have to deal with the storms that come our way, the winds and the storms, the blizzards of life. We try to control our lives so that we don't face economic storms or personal struggles or health issues. We work real hard to avoid them because we want to stay safe, don't we? We want life to be comfortable, to be safe. So we burn all this energy trying to avoid storms, and yet storms are inevitable. Why? We want God to be safe. And make our lives safe. But God is not safe, is he? Like that quote we often quote from Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, where Mr. Beaver is describing this great lion, the Christ figure, Aslan. And little Lucy says, oh, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. You see, if by safe we want God to make our lives comfortable, no, he isn't safe. But he is good. He has a greater purpose. He loves us in the midst of it, and he takes us through the storm, and he goes with us. But life is not safe. Storms are inevitable, and God does not protect us from the storms. It's interesting to me in verse 36 where it says, Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them. They headed across the lake and they took him along. (laughs) Uh, This really spoke to me because I thought, you know, we are really happy to take Jesus along with us, aren't we? I mean, as long as he cooperates with our plans. You're welcome in my boat, Jesus. I'll include you in my life. You can be an accessory to my outfit. (laughs) I'm happy to, you know, wear the bracelet or the cross or whatever to show that, you know, you're part of my life and I want you part of my life. That's great. As long as you cooperate, as long as you affirm me, 
As long as you just don't mess with my plans, with my agendas, with what I want life to bring, as long as you don't mess up my dreams, I'm fine with you being in the boat. Come along, Jesus. (laughs) You're welcome to be part of my life. Just don't assert yourself as Lord of my life. Come on in the boat. You're welcome. (laughs) Verse 37 then describes the storm. And there arose a fierce gale, a squall of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. This is a painting. wish you could see it more clearly. I encourage you to Google it and look at it more closely. But it's a Rembrandt painting painted in 1633 of this very passage of Scripture. Rembrandt was a genius with how he used light. And you see the light draws your eyes of the waves washing over the boat and the boat's in distress, and you see the men grabbing and holding on and trying to do what they can to make it through this incredible squall, the storm that has come upon them. And these men are fishermen. They've lived on the water, but it's overwhelming to them. And then down in the corner, in the back of the boat, they're just, there's a group of them just waking Jesus up, coming to Him. Jesus, do something. In the Sea of Galilee, which is 700 feet below sea level, it's a lake, inland sea, that's 14 by 6 miles. So it's a fairly large body of water. And normally the wind would come in from the Mediterranean and it would be fairly gentle and that's where the wind would blow. Sometimes you'd get minor storms. But every once in a while in the Sea of Galilee, you get these major storms that come in from the east. And they come in off the Golan Heights And they drop down to this place, 700 feet below sea level, and they hit the water and they churn it up into a mighty storm. It is dangerous. And it's that kind of easterly storm that they are facing. And these experienced fishermen, Peter, James, Andrew, John, who had lived on the water, who knew the water well, were scrambling to handle this storm until it got to the point where they panicked. It got to be more than they could handle. It's filling up with water and they cannot bail fast enough to keep the boat afloat. It's out of control and they are afraid. And maybe this is a good definition of a life storm. Is that it's something beyond our ability to handle. You know, we do okay with minor wind and storm and, you know, we can shovel the snow or whatever, but when it gets too big for us, that's when it gets to be a storm that is overwhelming for us, like it got overwhelming for them. Storms are inevitable. But the second great reality that we need to see about storms in this passage is that storms test our faith. Storms are inevitable. Second great reality we need to know about storms is that storms test our faith. Verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, we like to have Jesus in the boat with us. 
as long as, you know, we're making it okay across the water. (laughs) But when suddenly things begin to fall apart, where our 401k shrinks in half, our wife says she wants a divorce, we find ourselves attracted to another woman or another man, we finally admit that we have an addiction that is too much for us to change or handle ourselves, and on and on and on. You lose your job, etc. Whatever the storms might be that come into your life. Then, at that point, just bringing Jesus in the boat isn't enough, is it? it it's just not enough. And it makes you begin to struggle with who He is in your life. It tests your faith. And you start bailing like crazy and you're working hard to try to fix the problem and try to make it through. And, you know, that's our tendency. And you look back and Jesus seems to be asleep on the cushion. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. And He doesn't seem to care. And you're crying out to Him and you say, Lord, where are you in this? Why won't you fix this? Help me through this. And he seems to be asleep. Wake up, God. And literally, there are words here where they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's really a a third-person phrase, and really what it's saying here literally is that, is it even a concern to you that we are dying? We're perishing? Is it even a concern to you, God? Jesus, or do you care at all about what I'm going through? At that point, you're at the end of your rope. You're barely hanging on. You look down and it's another thousand feet and you know you can't keep hanging on. That's how it feels in the midst of that storm. And God does not seem good at that point. He does not seem to care. He seems absent, uncaring, unloving. And if we're honest, we've all been there. I've been there. I've been in storms where it just was out of my control and I was angry at God and feeling, God, where are you in this? Why won't you do something? Exactly where the disciples were. You get to a place where you feel like, I cannot handle one more thing. And three more things happen. And you're overwhelmed. Storms test our faith. Because at that point, you're faced with the reality of who God is and how much you really do trust Him or not. Your faith is stretched to the limit. And you begin to really wonder deep down in your heart, can I trust you, God? Do you really love me? Do I really believe that? Do you even care? Storms test our faith. But the third great reality we need to remember is that storms grow our faith. Storms grow our faith. And that's the plan of God. Now, I kind of picture these disciples here. And they're in the boat and they are working hard, they're bailing, they're trying to hang on, it's tough, the storm's out of control, and they're looking back at Jesus, and they're resentful. And they're thinking, Jesus, do you even care? Now, come on, do something. 
Get up here and start bailing with us. Now we see from the rest of the story, they had no idea that he had the power to calm the storm. So why are they so upset? Why do they wake him up? They need another hand to help him bail. And I think that's often our attitude in the midst of the storm. Jesus, come on, help me. Help me in this storm. The truth is we want Jesus to help us in the storm. He wants to take over. We want him to help us bail. He wants to show his absolute sovereignty that he is master. He wants to take over not only the storm but our lives. So in verse 39, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. A couple of the same words here. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. Are the same words used back in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when Jesus, it says, rebuked the demon that was in a demon-possessed man and said, Be still. And he cast out the demon. He showed his absolute authority over the spiritual realm back in chapter 1. Here he shows his absolute authority and power over circumstances. Literally, the word be still is a word that means to muzzle. Be muzzled, waves. Stop. And notice, Jesus speaks just like God the Father did when he created the world. Let there be light. Jesus speaks and things happen. (laughs) And think about this for a minute, the power that's displayed here. Now imagine just stopping the wind. Rebuke the wind and the wind is gone. Those waves are still going to be crashing and reverberating and going all the way to the shore and back and It's going to take a long time for the sea to finally calm down, right? But Jesus says, hush, be still, and it is perfectly calm immediately. You can imagine how overwhelming that would be to see that Jesus has that kind of power. He didn't just stop the wind, but he stopped the currents all the way to the bottom of the lake. He stomped every wave, and it was completely calm, it says. This shows something. That Jesus could stop the storm at any time. Whatever storm you're going through, or will go through, he could stop it. But he lets it go because he has a greater purpose than just making our lives comfortable. His greater purpose is that he might grow our faith, that we might see him more clearly, that we might trust him more We see that because notice verse 40. He said to them now, (laughs) he speaks to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? These mighty fishermen are terrified. And then Jesus turns to them and says, why are you afraid? And literally the word for fear there is not the common word for fear. And it's not the word that's used in the next verse for fear. It's a word that means to be a coward, to be a wimp. Jesus rebukes them. Interesting. They're in the midst of the storm. They've just seen him do this amazing thing. And he says, why are you such cowards? Why are you such wimps? 
Don't you have any faith yet? Any at all? Buck up. Come on. (laughs) I'm here. Why are you afraid? Why are you cowards? See, what Jesus is doing is he's challenging them to orient their lives around him, not around their circumstances. Think with me for a moment about that. If you are orienting your life around circumstances and what happens in your life circumstantially, or around your own agenda, your plans that you are trying to work out, if your life is oriented around those, then you will live as a coward. Because you will always be afraid that something's going to mess it up. That something's going to come your way, a storm, that's going to mess up your life and mess up your circumstances and mess up your agenda. And it's inevitable. (laughs) So you will live as a coward. But if you learn to orient your life around Him, His power, His glory, His awesomeness, then you live with courage and confidence because you know He is in control and He will use it for good. So He wants them to orient their lives based on who He is, not on circumstances. Maybe a good definition of a coward is someone who lives as though God doesn't care as though God is not in control of life. Are you with me? Coward is one who lives as though God isn't there or doesn't care and is not in control of life. Because honestly, if he is in control and he does care, he does love us, then what's there to be afraid of? Why would we be cowards? So, Jesus' training of the disciples and his training of you and of me is to orient life so we begin to see him more clearly, so we can grow a strong, robust faith that can handle whatever comes our way. That's his plan. That's why he lets storms grow into our lives. Storms grow our faith because they allow us to be broken from our dependence on our circumstances and to learn to trust in Him, to see Him more clearly. Notice verse 41. They became very much afraid. And literally, it's they were afraid with a great fear. (laughs) It's overemphasized. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? I love this. Because notice, they were terrified of the storm, right? They thought they were going to die. But they are far more afraid of Jesus now than they ever were of the storm because they saw how powerful he is. Now now understand fear here. Godly fear is not uh, a fear that Jesus is going to hurt them or do some harm to them. Godly fear is a respect, a sense of awe to realize how big he is. Just a moment before, Jesus was this little guy in the back of the boat that should help them bail. And the storm was this big. 
And now after they saw who he really was, the storm is this big, and Jesus is that big. That's faith, folks. That's exactly what God's trying to build into our lives through the storms that come our way, that we might see him in his awesomeness, in his glory, in his power, so that our circumstances, our agendas, our plans, our struggles, our difficulties are minor compared to how awesome he is in his sovereignty, in his glory, in his power, so that we might trust him properly. Cowardly fear makes us panic because we're looking at the wrong thing. Godly fear deepens our trust and inspires us to step out for him. Everything was calm, but you know what? With no wind, they still had to act, right? They had to row back to shore. So faith doesn't mean you don't do anything. It just means you aren't trying to control things yourself. You are submitting to him and cooperating with his plan. That's what faith looks like. And only when we fear him far more than circumstances and what might happen to us in 2009, only when we fear him more than all that, will we live with true courage and true peace in whatever comes our way. And Jesus comes and says to us like he did to the waves, hush. Be still. I'm here. I'm here. And I will speak into your circumstances. I will speak into your life. I am sovereign and I will act on your behalf. So storms grow our faith when we look at Jesus and see him more clearly. I want to close with four truths that we need to remember when the storms of life smash up against our agendas, smash up against our safe and controlled worlds, and they shatter our plans when the storms come. Four truths that I want you to hang on to in 2009 so that we can face life as robust, faith-filled Christians rather than cowards. Truth number one, I am never alone. I am never alone. Notice in verse 35, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go to the other side. The end of verse 36, just as they took him along in the boat, just as he was, and other boats came with him. I am never alone. A truth we need to remember because Satan loves to make us feel in the midst of the storm that we are completely alone. But notice Jesus initiates, Jesus goes with us, Jesus passes through the eye of the storm with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And secondly, we're not alone because other boats are in the storm as well. You see, he's placed us in the body of Christ. We are part of this family. And other people are going through storms as well. And we learn to love one another and support one another in the midst of the storm. That's God's plan. So if you see friends that are going through storms, 
enter in with them. Encourage one another to trust God in the midst of the storm. Help each other keep our eyes on how big Jesus is. And in the big scale of things, circumstances are hard, they're painful. I don't want to belittle that, but compared to the greatness of Jesus, they are little. These momentary light afflictions, Paul says, are producing in us an eternal weight of glory. You only have that perspective if Jesus is huge. And what you're going through, the storm, is not very big in comparison. I am never alone. Secondly, truth number two, he is the loving controller. He is the loving controller. No matter how it looks, he's not asleep. And he controls the storm for his purposes. He limits it to protect you. Do you realize that? He controls it out of his love and his care. He's working out a loving plan that in the end is for your good. To grow your faith, to help you get strong in him. So you'll be able to handle the things that are coming in the future. Number one, you're never alone. Number two, he's the loving controller. These next two truths... I heard in a sermon by Ray Steadman, one of the first sermons I ever heard him preach in 1975, as he preached on this passage. Truth number three, the boat will not sink. The boat will not sink. Whatever you face this year, the boat will not sink. It may look like it. You may feel like you're perishing. It may feel out of your control. But he, being sovereign, being loving, being at work for your ends, will not allow the boat to sink. The boat will not sink. Now, some of the things you've been hanging on to might get washed overboard. (laughs) You might have to let go of some things. But the boat will not sink. And truth number four, the storm will not last forever. The storm will not last forever. He will end it in his timing in his way, for your good. So hang on to him, fear him, see him as far bigger than the storm you're going through. And you can have the faith to walk through it with trust and encouragement. You see, the storms are inevitable. Therefore, in 2009, storms will come. Jeannie and I have a way of talking about our years by what storms we faced that year. Yeah, remember what happened in 2000? Yeah, oh yeah, that's when you had your heart attack or you, you know, whatever. Uh, But there are also marks of seeing where God worked. I don't know what you're going to face this year, but make it your goal to know Him better, to make Him bigger so that whatever you do face, you can trust in Him. You will see Him big. And you'll have the faith to go through it with courage rather than with fear.